You know, there are certain writers in our time whose hallmark is quite obvious, and these, of course, are the better writers, the ones whose impact is overwhelming on you. Joan Didion is one of this group. Joan Didion, known best for her very perceptive essays, slouching towards Bethlehem and her novel of a couple of years ago, Play It As It Lays, and now her more recent one, and it's an overwhelmingly powerful one, called A Book of Common Prayer, Simon and Schuster, the publishers. Uh, she's my guest this morning. And her hallmark would be what? A certain style, a certain passion, though she might deny it, passion offered in a cool observer's way, but also a, a style that is economical, and the word laconic is used a great deal about it. Is that an ironic, a s exquisite sense of irony, but mostly perceptiveness and awareness, I think. My guest, Joan Didion, and her book, A Book of Common Prayer in a Moment, after this message. That would translate Sere su testigo and will not appear in your traveler's phrase book because it is not a useful phrase for the prudent traveler. Here is what happened. She left one man, she left a second man, she traveled again with the first, she let him die alone. She lost one child to history and another to complications. She imagined herself capable of shedding that baggage and came to Boca Grande, a tourist, una turista. So she said, in fact, she came here less a tourist than a sojourner, but she did not make that distinction. She made not enough distinctions. She dreamed her life. She died hopeful. In summary, so you know the story. Of course, the story had extenuating circumstances, weather, cracked sidewalks, and Paragorina, but only for the living. Charlotte would call her story one of passion. I believe I would call it one of delusion. Joan Didion reading the opening passages of the book, A Book of Common Prayer, and before that, preceded by a marching band, New Orleans marching band, playing Have I Ever Ceased to Love. Now, what would be the connection between these two? If Ever I Cease to Love is a very strong um, element in one scene in the book, and actually it was one of the, one of the I, it was one of the first things I had in mind for this book. Uh, originally, when I started the book, it was all going to take place in the South, motel rooms in the South, and uh, part of it was going to take place at Mardi Gras. If ever I cease to love is the Mardi Gras <coughs> song. It's played all through the streets at Mardi Gras. And in the book somewhere, we'll come to that sequence, there's a guy named Warren Bogart, who was the first husband of the one who was being talked about at the opening, Charlotte sure. Douglas. Now, the talker, the first person, the first person here is uh, Grace, Grace, Grace Strasser, Strasser Mandana. Mandana. Nay Tabor. Who and she Tabor out of Colorado. Out of Colorado. Like Jim Tabor, Silver Jim Tabor. Uh, somebody pointed that out uh, to me after the copy editor, mm -hmm. Simon Schuster, pointed that out to me. I hadn't really done it intentionally. I had not thought of the Ballad of Baby Doe. Uh -huh. <laughs> it was, um, but of course, that is the same name. Well, let's, let's talk about her first, this narrator, and then, of course, of Charlotte, who was the central figure. Yeah, well, the narrator came out of Colorado. She grew up uh, by herself, really. Her father and mother died when she was young. She grew up in the Brown Palace Hotel, uh, sent herself to Chicago and California to study anthropology, went down to work in Latin America, uh, retired herself from that field young, uh, not satisfied with it, married a planter in a, a coconut palms in this imaginary Central American country, Boca Grande. He died and she more or less runs the country via her brother's-in-law. She inherited, or she, oh, she, she runs the country. Now this country, we'll come to this, and why this other woman she talks about came here. Boca Grande. This, by the way, how you did this, uh, you just, what did you do? Did you, to you, make up you the have country? a map? 
Did you study some Latin America, Central American countries? I went down to uh, to uh, Latin America for the first time. I mean, the first time I've been south of Mexico City it was in 1973. And uh, while I was down there, I was only down there about a week, but I got paratyphoid. So I came home and I was sick for six weeks in bed. And uh, the whole thing took on a hallucinatory cast. And as, I, as soon as I got strong enough to hold a book, um, I had people get me a lot of books out of the UC UCLA library about Latin America, not because I wanted to write a novel set there, but because I was obsessed with uh, what it had been like. Uh, I, I, I didn't understand it. The week was as shocking to me as, as the bacteria, you know. So the <laughs> fact that you were ill and it had sort of a dream quality, mm -hmm. by the way, gives this book a dream quality. It has a fevered quality. Fevered uh, yeah, quality. Yeah, one thing I knew yeah. about this book when I began it was that it would be full of names of bacteria. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think yeah. it is. By the, this, uh, this um, narrator, Grace, the American woman from Colorado who married this Central American mm -hmm. guy, this family, who's powerful here, she was an anthropologist. Right. But then she became interested in biochemistry. Mm -hmm. So a lot of... More demonstrable answers. So a lot of chemicals and a lot of mm -hmm. germs, <laughs> bacteria come into the play mm -hmm. here. But whenever I think of Grace, I, I think of those, uh, those charts that show the way the, uh, the neutrons connect. I mean, she wanted to believe that everything could be reduced to one of those uh, models. You know. But also, she was an anthropologist. And so a way she's looking at uh, the people in this book particularly Charlotte Douglas, as sort of members of a certain species. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. That was what w one of the reasons I made her an anthropologist to begin with. She had to be a trained observer. Now, the place, Boca Grande, this place has no, seems to, has, no, also, has no history. Has no history. Has no past. Has no color. Has no Spanish colonial cathedral. Has no, has no hills. Has no voodoo. Has nothing. Has no resources. Has... It has an interior where there might be something, but nobody knows. Yeah. Yeah. Has an interior where there might be something. This <laughs> is kind <laughs> of funny, isn't it? So we come to the member of the species she's looking at and observing and met. Her name is Charlotte Douglas, about mm -hmm. 40, attractive woman in the world. She has no songs like Mountain Green, you know, it's cold water. Who is Charlotte Douglas, and how come she's down here? She's a child of the Western child of, of the Western United States of a certain age. Uh, she, was, she was one of those romantic idealists. She grew up believing that everybody in the world, she grew up with that kind of egalitarian idea that everybody in the world was exactly like her. Uh, she's a child of the middle class, child of uh, comfortable circumstances, and still a child in many, as she enters adult life. Of course, we don't pick her up. I mean, I, I, she's, she's almost 40 when yeah. This book she's begins. almost 40, and of course she's known. Her passport, by the looked at very carefully because uh, it happened to her daughter, very much like Patty Hearst. Mm -hmm. Her daughter, Marin, who's about 17. Marin is 18 when Eight. she disappears, <coughs> yeah. <coughs> Marin, who was a student at Berkeley, or so Charlotte thought. One morning the FBI comes and uh, tells her that Marin was one of the people who had a few days before tried to bomb a building in San Francisco and hijacked an L-1011 flew it to Utah and burned it on the salt flat and just disappeared from the face of the earth. So this is, of course, headlines all over, mm. FBI. Charlotte insists she's skiing. Yeah. Charlotte <laughs> what? Insists that she's skiing at Squaw Valley. And <laughs> Charlotte, of course, by the way, Charlotte, the very opening you spoke of Charlotte, who thought her life was full of passion, you, you mm -hmm. that is Grace, thinks it's one of delusion. delusion yeah. Illusion and delusion. Yeah. I think Grace is not <coughs> so sure at the end, though. Hmm? I think Grace is less sure of that mm -hmm. at the end. That Charlotte may knew more. Charlotte maybe did, yeah. It may be aware of possibly everything she was doing. Mm -hmm. But let's stick with Charlotte. She's now, <laughs> because here she was, uh, seeming innocent, who also didn't think much of past or present or future, did she? No, no. She, she tried to avoid thinking of the past. She tried to live entirely in the present. So this place she came to would seem to be unnatural for her. Yes but because she always moved not on what she saw or what was actually out there, but on the idea of it she had in her mind, she appeared not to notice that it was dangerous there. <laughs> it was now, by the way, as we're talking about this character, this person, Charlotte, and the woman observing her, and a friend of hers, too, there, we're not 
in any way you're not getting the style of uh, of Joan Didion's writing. This it's it's uh, it just holds you. It just moves. I was saying somewhere, it reminded me of a black preacher because you have a, a the the title a book of common prayer. Mm -hmm. So it almost has a preach not a, a, a chant quality. That I think came through one of the interviews you had. You yeah, mentioned it somewhere. I, I fell into that because. Um, it was sort of a complicated story. I never dealt with so many people. I'd never dealt with uh, on such a big canvas. Uh, lots of characters, uh, violent events. And I, I felt I had to keep reminding the reader of where we had been. And so the repetitions came into it, and I probably would have knocked them out. But a good example might be the uh, opening mm -hmm. of a chapter here. There's a reference to Warren. Mm -hmm. Warren was uh, the first husband of Charlotte. We'll mm -hmm. come to him in a moment, this incredible figure. And suppose you, the reading of the idea of uh, this repetition that mesmerizes. When Warren came that day to the door of the house on California Street, Charlotte did not answer. When Warren telephoned, Charlotte hung up. When Warren stood on the sidewalk outside the house on California Street at 2 a.m. and threw stones at the windows, Charlotte closed the shutters. When Warren left the note reading, quote, this is the worst behavior yet, unquote, in the mailbox of the house on California Street, Charlotte tore the note in half and avoided those rooms which fronted on the street. When Warren came, another one as a the, chapter. Yeah, when Warren, and the, the, I realized after some chapters that I was never referring to the house without calling it the house on California yeah. Street. Part of that was for distance, mm -hmm. because Grace had never seen this house. And so part of that was to keep it distant from Grace. And the story, by the way, as told by Grace, is not one that is chronological. There is a free association. Thoughts. Since Grace is telling it, it's, yeah. it's easy to do that, yeah. yeah. I mean, when somebody tells us a story, they, they skip around. She describes Charlotte. By the way, Charlotte's been jumping around and about. Maybe more about Charlotte, a picture of her. Uh, upper middle class, her clothes, she's very careless, like she yeah. has a $600 bag. With a glass broken. She's one of those yeah. people who, if you look at them, they have these very expensive clothes, and you look at them, and there is maybe a thread hanging from the, sh the shoulder, or uh, you know, a seam is about to go someplace. So the hem, you can see a little pucker in the hem where there's a safety pin. Actually, that's probably one of the things about Charlotte I uh, picked up for myself. Yeah. <laughs> was th that, uh, it's sort of a a carelessness, yeah. but the stuff she carries, uh, it was at Bonwit Tellers, wasn't it? Yeah. It was at Saks Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, maybe a ring, maybe a Tiffany ring. It was uh, everything. Yeah. It was very expensive, and but she, she didn't seem to care about no, it. No, uh, she mm -hmm. also wants to do this piece. Her delusion is so profound. She's going to do a piece that New Yorker is going to publish, don't you? Oh, her, she uh, wants yeah. to do, she has projects. I yeah. mean, she has projects, all kinds of projects. She wants to start a boutique in in Boca Grande. She uh, wants to carry uh, expensive French sheets in this boutique. A film festival. She wants to have a, a film festival in Boca Grande as a way of bringing in tourists. She has she's that, that kind of pathetic ingenuity, yeah. um, ingenuity in a vacuum. But yeah. sometimes, she's, is, she, is she not aware of her, of her impact on other people as casual? Because where she goes, something happens. Charlotte is highly charged sexually. Mm -hmm. That is. The thing about your book that's so fantastic is suggestion is there. It's a suggestion. She's, uh, is, she, is she aware of this or is it casual? You know, that is, it, is she unaware of the impact she has on people? I think she's, uh, she is unaware of it on one level, and yet it's just the ambience she moves in. I mean, I think she would notice if nobody turned around you know, uh, when she walked into a room. She would be, she would notice it then. I think she's aware of, um, probably, she doesn't appear to be aware of it. But all this time she's in this place. There's a danger around. There's also an impending sense. We sense this. You, mm -hmm. you said there's a fever there. It's like a dream. She ought to get out of this place because things are popping at Boca mm -hmm. Grande, and she's in the middle of it. One thing, her daughter is internationally known. Mm -hmm. And she is naturally, because of her daughter and, and because of her, her husband's a radical lawyer, because of all of her connections, uh, she is naturally going to be suspected of playing a role in this, in whatever happens in Boca Grande. I mean, she's not going to ever be regarded as a tourist. 
In fact, there are very few tourists there. Even a tourist would be suspected of being CIA in, in Boca Grande. Because in this, in this, where she hangs out, her circle involves this family, Grace's <laughs> family, Grace's brothers-in-law and their wives. Mm -hmm. And Grace, the nerd, has all this power. They're looking for power, too. They're, they trade power among them. I mean, that's all they do is trade power, yes. And something explosive may happen. And uh, Grace, others tell Charlotte they get the hell out. Mm -hmm. How did she get to Boca Grande? There's several stops before. Yeah, about um, six months or six weeks after after Marin goes underground, um, naturally her first husband, Warren, we mentioned before, has come out to San Francisco to be with her in this hour of need. Warren is Marin's father. Um, all he does is harass her a great deal. And he wants her to come south with him, to come to New Orleans with him. Finally, she does this. She leaves her second husband. She goes south with Warren. This is part of this a period of months in which somebody she can't remember later. Somebody seems to have shuffled her memory. A lot of motel rooms in the south. Very peculiar evenings. Uh, she's pregnant at the time she leaves San Francisco. She and Leonard are going to have a child. She loses this, or she has the child child is born uh, hydrocephalic, um, no liver function, everything possible wrong with it. In the South, she decides not to let the baby die in the hospital. She takes the baby down to the Yucatan, and the baby dies in the Yucatan, and then she drifts south through the Caribbean just going to airports, and finally she gets to Boca Grande. As you tell it now, and of course in the reading of it, in the writing of it, you have this, there's this fever, you spoke of a fever. Mm -hmm. She is a temperate zone child. Mm -hmm. She's in the temperate zone. Mm -hmm. And she is, I told you in the beginning, you came, I know Charlotte. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, she's in the temperate zone, yet there she is in a fevered atmosphere, and she herself is almost hallucinating. Mm -hmm. It's like a dream, and so she loses this child near a Coca-Cola plant somewhere in one of the, in one of the Latin Mary, American yes. places. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, I have a feeling it's almost a Samuel Beckett feeling of, like there is a waiting for Godot, there's a dream quality, there is a almost immobilized quality. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there's a, the motions are gone through. There's a very thing that kept impressing me about equatorial countries is that nothing appears to move and yet everything does. I mean when you say immobile, the sun doesn't even, you know, the, the days don't get shorter or longer <laughs> because it's at the equator. I know, but as, as you're talking, we, we have to speak of these people who are so much yeah. part of our lives. You mentioned her first husband, casually you mentioned Warren Bogart. What a character. So come to Warren Bogart. How would you describe him? And then I'll give you one. <laughs> and then we'll read him. People uh, have told me who read the book, that a lot of people have said to me, did you know my first husband? <laughs> 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 it seems to uh, be everybody's first husband. Um, he, um, he is a brilliant man. He is a terrible man. He harasses and bullies people. He is very often smarter than anybody knows. He is wasted in many ways. Self-destructive. Self-destructive. Destructive not only of himself, but, but of, others of other people. Him. Brings out the worst in people around yes. him. There's yes. a scene there with a couple, uh, the Mardi Gras scene we're talking mm -hmm. about. What was it? Fired. Fired. Unbelievable scene. But here's Warren, description of Warren. Warren. Charlotte did not want to hear Warren on the radio. He was on the radio then. I, I guess they were asking him about... Uh, about Marin, right. About the daughter, mm -hmm. his daughter. Mm -hmm. Now, Leonard, this is her second husband. We'll come to him in mm -hmm. a minute. Uh, very fascinating. Uh, Leonard had once said that Warren could arrive on a town. Why don't you read? It's your book. Leonard had once said that Warren could arrive in a town where he knew no one, and within 24 hours he would have had dinner at the country club, been offered a temporary chair in Southern politics at the nearest college, and been on the radio. That's this is Warren. Yes, he he is he has a great deal of charm when he wants to. And charm he, when he wants to. Yes, and even when he doesn't want to, he makes a he makes himself. Everybody's glad to see him come. 
and everybody's glad to see him go. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so he's been fired. Of course, he's, he's yeah. been at many universities. And he, immediately, I guess, he charms everybody, yes. doesn't he? Yes. Especially, I suppose, faculty wives yes. and, and uh, women yes. students. Yes. But guys, too. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because he's smart. And he's, he's a but he's a bully. Mm -hmm. He's a bully, isn't mm -hmm. he? Now, Charlotte, she can't handle him. I think her second warns that she doesn't, I mean, she's a natural for she, 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 she can't be in the same room with him, even, no. She can't, uh, I mean, he, he, he has her number. He, uh... What do you mean he has her number? He can make her feel, he knows how to make her feel bad. He knows how to make her feel guilty. He knows how to, how to, uh, get her to do exactly to what... To manipulate and, and she knows she's being manipulated, yeah, yeah. but she can't help it. Then he knows how to hit her most vulnerable mm -hmm. spot, whether it's a guilt about Marin or about right, anything. Right, right. And she's trying to escape him, doesn't she, yes, in a way? Yes, yes, and finally she gives, finally she gives in. But you see, her second husband will come to him in a minute, Leonard. He, he knows one thing about Charlotte, doesn't he? He knows that she he wants to have that baby. Yeah. That child was born hydrocephalic. Mm -hmm. So that I could free her from Warren. Right, right. Yeah, because if she has a prior responsibility to a baby, she can't possibly do the inevitable and leave with Warren. But Warren is always showing up, isn't he? Some yeah. uninvited. Oh, mm -hmm. by the way, he has tremendous uh, gall, frenery, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Doesn't think twice. <laughs> but they don't know what to do. Why, this guy, as you say, many women read your books as, have you met my first husband? Yes. <laughs> you must have known. <laughs> but what he does is that it is almost like we're a snake, uh, you know, the wise serpent, you know, and the, and they're like the birds, hypnotized by him. The host, the hostess. Yeah. He's a good person, don't you think, in the end, oh, I don't mean in the end yeah. of the book, but at bottom, at bottom, Charlotte, at bottom, Charlotte thought that Marin should have been in touch with him, gone to his funeral, at bottom. At bottom, uh, Charlotte had a lot of respect for him. She just didn't want to be around him. Yeah, by the way, we're talking, uh, Marin Chittagandas, where he, the book also deals in some way, it deals with death, but death in a, in a way, in a death in a live way, it, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. That Warren is dying. Grace is dying. You know, Grace, the narrator, is dying mm -hmm. of cancer. Warren is dying and knows he lies about it. Mm -hmm. And Leonard, Charlotte Seckman says, he wants you mm -hmm. to see him die. He wants mm -hmm. you. So in a sense, Warren is clinging toward, to I guess, toward Charlotte and possibly, uh, impossibly to Marin. Yes. He, yes. Wants, he wants that po his portion of life. Mm -hmm. Yes. I was very touched by, uh, by Warren in the, at that, th at that, during that part. Of course, this is, um, this is the special giftedness of, of Joan Didion, you see. You got this guy. He's a horrible guy. He's an yeah, awful you, guy. You just hate at the same time, <laughs> you got this tremendous feeling of loss at the end when he dies because something, it, you know, horrendous though he is, this this vitality mm -hmm. that he is, mm -hmm. the vitality's mm -hmm. gone. Mm -hmm. So you, the book is about vitality. And, and I thought it was about life. Yeah, yeah it is yeah. about life. <laughs> I, I said it's about death. It's really yeah. about life. I thought it had a lot of joy in it. Uh, it does. Well, just, by it, the way, I must say it's a very funny book. Oh, I'm gonna, glad we're, you we're, think that. No, the, I, I thought it was, I was funny. When I first met you, I was going to say, I read a very funny book. <laughs> it's a funny book because you start laughing out loud, the outrageousness of some mm. of it, you know. The disjointed conversations, we should perhaps try to tackle that after this pause. Uh, one, the visit to the FBI. We've got to have that. And as one, Charlotte's disjointed conversation you hear so often, but you do it in a poetic way, and yet it's true. It's a book of common prayer of Joan Didion, and it's uh, Simon and Schuster, the publishers, and it's uh, just absolutely full of exquisite irony and a lot of insight and funny. And it's a book about life. Well, obviously it's about life, because you know that guy, you know that woman, in a moment after this message. And so we resume our conversation with Joan Didion. Since you mentioned Warren and Funny Book, uh, she, uh, Charlotte's visited by the FBI a lot because they want to find out if she's heard from mm -hmm. the underground girl. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And so there are a lot of scenes there. Mm-hmm. They, they come every morning, in fact. Come every yeah. morning. Mm-hmm. And she knows the phone's being tapped. And what's happened? One and several, several of it. This is their one phone has been tapped for a long time, yeah. actually, because of Leonard's uh, involvement with radical oh, politics. Oh, perhaps a word about yeah. Leonard before we hear the Seekers' War. Now her second husband, Leonard. Mm-hmm. Here's another very boy, one a of guy of several dimensions. Yeah, he's an operator. He's uh, oh, a, how would you describe Leonard? Oh, uh, he's a he's a radical lawyer around San Francisco, uh, but he has he has a firm that also handles estate work. <laughs> um, in other words, he can do anything. He's uh, he handles those kind of show trials uh, with names like uh, the Alameda Three. Uh, uh, but he also he's more than a guy like Kunstler. He's more than oh, yeah, Kunstler. Yeah. He has that touch, but he also right. has other things. Right. And he um, he's one of those fixers. He handles rock groups too, doesn't oh, he? Oh yes, yes. He will. He he handles any any place there's action. And he could he be will. the producer of a hot movie too. Right. Could yeah. Put up stuff, and he also yeah. handles heart now and then. He's involved in international stuff. We don't quite know what, do we? No. He's one of those people who meets with oh, people from third world groups. It's, I always think of him having meetings in Montreal with, yeah. with people from... Uh, uh, he's a celebrity, isn't he? He's a celebrity. You find this guy once in a while in a, he, in a he, rag he, like he, people. He, right. Yeah, he it. arranges things. Yeah. He can find money for people who want to buy guns. Now, there's something interesting here. Warren, you see, now Charlotte doesn't know how to handle Warren Bogart, but Warren Bogart doesn't quite know how to handle Leonard. No, and Leonard knows how to handle Warren. Yeah, because Leonard... He's this guy who's the arranger. Nothing offends him. He's that's above right. it all. You can't. And Warren wants to outrage people. Yes. Can't outrage him. Yes, that's exactly it. Isn't yeah. that it? Yeah. Then you have a great scene in there somewhere. We'll find. But now we come. So that now we know who the two husbands are, ex and present one of Charlotte. And now she's being visited. And what does say? Oh, and Grace is telling the story. Mm-hmm. And I'll do Warren. Okay. This is a good scene. Why don't you set it up? I know why Charlotte liked talking to the FBI. The agents would let her talk about Marin. Their devotion to Marin seemed total. They were pilgrims pledged to the collection of relics from Marin's passion. During the days before Warren arrived in San Francisco, the agents had taken Charlotte to see Marin's apartment on Hayes Street in Berkeley. The agents had taken Charlotte to see the house on Grove Street in Berkeley, where they had found the cache of 30 caliber Browning automatic rifles and the translucent pink orthodontal retainer Marin was supposed to wear to, collect, to correct her bite. In both those places, the gray morning light fell through dusty windows onto worn hardwood floors, and Charlotte had remembered for the first time how sad she herself had been at Berkeley before Warren came to her door. And so the FBI guy says, uh, let's flop back to one of the theories you were uh, espousing yesterday, Mrs. Douglas, when you, and Warren says, let's flop back to all of them. And Warren been sitting in the same chair ever since he walked into the house and dropped his shopping shopping bag. Oh, of course, he'd come in with a brown shopping bag. Right. <laughs> Warren from New York and probably sloppy, <laughs> yeah. and dressed just barge in, mm-hmm. unexpected. He he had gotten up only to get himself drinks, and once perfunctorily, when the FBI man arrived and Leonard left, "I'm the felon's father," he said to the FBI man. He seemed bent now in a fit of laughter. "I want to flop back to every one of these theories, Mrs. Douglas, been espousing." Espousing. He's taken off with the <laughs> FBI guy now. In my, in my absence, I've been out of touch. I didn't know Mrs. Douglas had theories to espouse. And Charlotte says, trying to get back to the FBI man, when I what? Flip-flop. We need ice, Charlotte. When you, the FBI man glanced uneasily at Warren, because he can't quite figure him out. When you said yesterday that Marin uh, might, have, might have been sad, what exactly did you mean? Normal everyday blues or something more um, out of the mainstream? Just your normal everyday mainstream, power to the people, lot of fun, dismal Berkeley blues. Warren was still bent with laughter. Just those old American blues, spell that with a K. I don't know what I meant, Charlotte says. Some theory. Did you get the K? Did you get the K? Did you spell it with a K? And the FBI gets to push on for a moment, Mrs. Douglas. Uh, the office uh, raised one other question. Did your daughter ever mention a Russian name of a... Let's see. And he examines his notebook. These old, those old American blues didn't come up the river from New Orleans. They K-O-M-E up the river from New Orleans. Get it, Charlotte? Did he get the K? He got it. Uh, Gurdjieff, the FBI man said. Russian name of Gurdjieff. Uh, Mary never mentioned him? 
In the first place, he was Armenian, Warren said. Otherwise, you're on top of the case. I'm not sure I get your meaning, Mr. Bogart. Not at all. You're doing fine. E excuse me. Uh, the Gurdjieff, I'm, this is the FBI guy, the Gurdjieff I'm thinking of is a Russian. Excuse me, the Gurdjieff you're thinking of is a, a Basti Levant. Oh, explanation of this. Basti Levant is a rock producer <laughs> whom Warren hates, yeah. who was a client of Leonard, yeah. on whose plane he was traveling. You get here. Yeah. <laughs> so Charlotte says, Warren, please. Don't you think that's funny, Charlotte? Excuse me. Don't you think that's funny, Charlotte? Excuse me, the Gurdjieff thinking it was a Basti Levant? It's funny, Warren. No. Now, you used to think I was funny. Now, by the way, on this one point, that's almost, almost the wistful part right there. Mm -hmm. Warren all is horsing around comic mm -hmm. stuff here. You used to think I was mm -hmm. funny. Might be said that way. Mm -hmm. You used to think I was funny. Mm -hmm. Isn't that it? Mm -hmm. yeah, and you? there would be an undertone yeah. of that, with it, no matter how. Let's continue. I like this. Uh, let me uh, try to put this on track. The FBI man cleared his throat. <clears throat> Did you ever, Marin ever mention or could JF of any nationality ever mention reading about him? No, Charlotte says. Well, Marin can't read. It's Warren, of course. She plays a good game of tennis. She's got a nice backhand, good, strong hair, and IQ about 103. Charlotte just closes her eyes. Charlotte, face facts. Credit where credit's due. You raised her. She's boring. I'm not sure this is a productive tack, the FBI man said. Irving's not sure this is a productive tack, Warren raised his, rattled his eyes. Here, here, Charlotte. Listen to Irving. Bruno, the FBI man. So the name is Bruno Ferretta. Don't mind me, Irving. I've been drinking. I happen to know you're not all that drunk, Warren. Charlotte is not opening her eyes. I happen to know you're just amusing yourself as usual. You get the picture. Charlotte stands up. And I want to tell you that I am not... She's overwrought, Charlotte heard Warren say as she fled the room. Let me give you some advice, Irving. Never mind the Armenians. Cherche la tennis pro. And they had to say, oh, meaning uh, Marin was... Marin played a lot of tennis. Played a lot of yes. tennis. So we have scenes yeah. like this. And, of course, here is... Uh, Charlotte is getting it from all sides, isn't she? Hmm. Hmm. She can't... Um, at, at, at that point, I think she's just beside herself. But throughout... Also, through she's totally misperceived Marin. Marin. And Marin has totally to misperceived Marin. her. Yeah. And there's Marin, of yeah. course. Marin, who isn't there, who's somewhere. And, of course, Charlotte can't get her out of her mind. In fact, every time she's thinking back now, it's because of uh, Marin. Marin, right. She's always thinking back to a, a tiny child. And, there's not and a certain memory of the Tivoli. Oh, many memories. There's Easter, uh, Tivoli. This is the in Copenhagen, mm -hmm. the, 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 the Luna Park mm -hmm. review, Tivoli. Mm -hmm. And in her mind... What, Charles might what, a, little, a, a moment of, uh, of gentle remembrance? Mm hmm There's just everything, she, she just plays over again and again. It's like, it just, it's as if she has a collection of snapshots that she just keeps looking at in her mind, of, 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 of always of a very small child. Um, I realized when I was about halfway through the book that there w was no point when when Charlotte mentioned Marin after Marin was about 12. And you know, it's so funny also, because this is the crazy part. Upper middle class, there's Copenhagen or a certain later married to Warren, there's no money at, at the Plaza Hotel, one of the hotels. Mm. Uh, there's no dough in the restaurant. But it's a memory east of a little princess. In fact, that, that mm. uh, head waiter speaks of the Calls princess. The Principessa, yeah. But... What's crazy is this girl, for better or for worse, absurdly, ridiculously, revolutionary. And there are, there are tapes sent out to the world. Mm -hmm. And this is the nutty part. A little girl, 12 years old, upper middle class, raised in what, a private, private, private school? Private schools, Episcopal day schools in San Francisco. Wanted to go to Stanford, couldn't get in, went to Berkeley. Of course, you're talking about, you're talking about, you're writing about something nutty too, aren't you? In a way, I I, I think that uh, Marin had no sense of uh, any uh, anything that the world was about. I mean, and she couldn't put words together. She didn't listen to words. Uh, somebody told her some words that sounded all right, and so she became a a revolutionary. She didn't know what revolutionary meant. She didn't. She thought she was the first one in the world. 
By the way, she thought she was the first one in the world. Now we come to, oh, as somebody might call one of the subtexts of the book. You know, I like to use that word. I always want to mm. use it. I'll use it now. Yeah. Okay. And that's, there seems to be a lack. Of Charlotte, too, but certainly Marin. There's no past. As Boca Grande, has no where past. Charlotte winds up, mm, what happens to her has to happen, unfortunately. It seems to be. Didn't happen, but it, where the country has no past, Charlotte and Marin. Have no sense of the past at all, no. I don't know, um, I hadn't planned that. Um, I think they have no personal past and they also have no sense. Charlotte knows nothing about, uh, Warren and Leonard taught her everything she knows about history. Um, and she can, she like Marin can, can give you back certain phrases. She knows the initials. I mean, she would probably know PLO and all those initials. But on a, on a blank map of the world, she couldn't fill in the countries. I mean, she has vacuums in her education. She's they almost one of those tabula rasa. She's, she's an American. Yeah, <laughs> they got it. No, she got the words mm -hmm. without the meaning. That's right. And this is also, so Charlotte, of course, is thrown, doesn't know what to do about Marin. Well, who would? Mm -hmm. But the fact is, it's inevitable, almost, it's natural that Marin come from Charlotte. Yes. In a way. Yes. That might have been Charlotte at 17. Yes. If she were with these people mm -hmm. there. Exactly. If uh, she met Warren, Charlotte met Warren when she was uh, about Marin's age. And if, uh, if uh, Warren had said to her, instead of saying, uh, we're going to New York. If he had said we're going to bomb the Transamerica building, she would have gone. So, but because she she has no somebody, she doesn't. She can't make a decision, can she? Not Charlotte. Consciously. Not consciously. So you think she made an unconscious decision? To I think stay she decided to stay in Boca Grande. Yeah. I think she knew exactly what she was doing. She gets killed. She gets killed, and she must have known she was getting killed because on her way out to dinner the night she gets shot. She, I mean, it's absurd to go out to dinner to begin with. She's going to have dinner alone. She's the last person she knows left in Boca Grande at that point. People are leaving because a coup is taking Everybody place. Everybody has left. Uh, and by, about this coup, it's yeah. not, no one knows what side. It's not political. I mean, it's political, but no one knows who no. the hell is what. No, it's all, it's all going to end in just another exchange of power among Grace's family by marriage. But um, for the time being, it's dangerous on the streets, and it's a uh, gone on for longer than it should have. I mean, they usually they expect these things to be over in three or four days. This one is, there have been more guns in evidence. There was more money somehow. Nobody knows where the extra money came from. So it's dangerous. Everybody's gone. The embassy people are gone. Grace is even gone. Everybody has tickets to New Orleans, and finally they take the plane. Um, Charlotte is, 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 is won't leave. She stays there, and on the night she finally gets shot, she comes home from her, she has a volunteer job at a birth control clinic, she comes home, I mean, to, she goes to work, and nobody's coming in for birth control devices on a day when they're shooting in the streets, but she goes to work, she leaves work, she comes home, she changes into a clean dress and goes out for dinner, and on the way she mails Marin's address, which she has recently been given by Leonard, to Grace, and she also mails a ring that she has, so she must have known. As though she were known, also as though she were, you describe her somewhere as though she were living underwater. Mm -hmm. That's that feeling of, un as things are around her, but mm -hmm. her non-decision is really a decision. Mm -hmm. It's a way Think, of a... By the way, she's not weak, because there's certain things she does here. She works in this clinic, this cholera clinic, Yeah. and she's strong, and she could wring the neck of a chicken with her, uh, twist it with her fingers. Well, she has that weird quixotic strength that a lot of... Uh, of uh, frontier people have. Um, she's a kind of demented strength in certain, I mean, inappropriate places. I mean, it's silly to perform. She performs a tracheotomy, a tracheotomy on somebody. On someone. At, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's silly. You know, I mean, th you could kill a person. You could also, uh, there are other, there are more efficient ways of doing yeah. it. She has that kind of uh, deranged strength at times. It's spontaneous, but spontaneous in a yeah, it's, yeah. it's deranged strength. It's, it's, it's a gunfighter strength. You know, yeah, it's not... Gunslinger. Yeah, gunslinger. Oh, she's... Yeah. By the way, Charlotte herself was from where? Uh, uh, she's from California. Well, that figures, yeah. doesn't it? 
That's kind of a nutty state, isn't it? Well, I'm from California. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a, a peculiar strain. Yeah. In, in yeah so this is this is Charlotte. Yeah. She's American, isn't she? Yeah. I Western mean, really American. American. Yeah. yeah. There's an innocence, and yet you get the feeling that she knows more. Mm-hmm. It's those uh, very American, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Not just the innocence of I'm guiltless. No, I mean, it knows more, and also something. A meaningless, meaning, uh, a meaningless death. Yeah, when I started writing the book, I thought of her as, as one of those transcendentalist heroines. Yeah. I mean, the, the last living transcendentalist, yeah, yeah. somebody who walked around with an idea in her mind and thought that was the way the world was. Well, in the way it was Margaret Fuller, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah, Margaret won the swallow yeah. the world like yeah. an oyster. Yeah, I mean, really, at the end of at the end yeah. of this, uh, Gr- Charlotte is really saying, "I accept the universe," like the, yeah. as Margaret Fuller Margaret said. Margaret Fuller, by the way, could have saved her life. You know, she was in a boat off Fire Island, mm-hmm. and she decided not to. It's like Charlotte. Uh, she drowned off Fire Island coming back from Italy. And she could have saved herself? Oh, yeah. I mean, d- d- uh, she just uh, stayed. Very much like Charlotte. Really? just occurred to me. Yeah. 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 Isn't that? Again, facing, she might have faced scandal mm-hmm. back here because she was utterly in the, the, she might have faced scandal. Here again, Charlotte and Marin. Mm-hmm. And so this book, there's some, I'm thinking about Charlotte dies. Marin is somewhere way up there. Nothing. And Grace, who is dying of cancer, the narrative, is it now in the United States? Grace goes to see, makes a trip for Charlotte's sake to see Marin. Whether she makes it for Charlotte's sake or whether she makes it out of curiosity herself, I don't know. But she goes up to see Marin, and it's a most unsatisfactory. Well, Marion doesn't even know who Charlotte was, does she? No. She, any more than Charlotte really knew who she was. Marion always uh, saw Charlotte. Uh, I mean, she has a picture in her mind of, of Charlotte that just isn't true. Yeah, she saw, perhaps even if you could find that spot here, uh, the, uh, this here, mother and child, parent and child, the complete... Oh, by the way, before we come to that, I just happened to notice this. Uh, Warren, not Warren, the husband, the lawyer, the second husband, who the operative was but It's also your chant, repeat again, but also tells us a good deal about emptiness. You know. Yeah, he had. Uh, this is when um, Warren, uh, Warren had had died, and Leonard has come down to Boca Grande to try to get Charlotte out. Um, and this is a passage there. He, Leonard. He had found Marin Bogart in an empty room in Buffalo. He had buried Warren Bogart in an empty grave in New Orleans. He had come to save Charlotte from an empty revolution in Boca Grande, and Charlotte was not listening. The word is empty. Mm-hmm. Empty is the word that mm-hmm. repeats. Mm-hmm. I had a, a great worry about using it. I wanted to repeat it three times there. And in the second place, about that empty grave in New Orleans, I thought, oh, I can't use it. All graves are empty. I mean, I. Mm-hmm. <laughs> By the way, the, uh, did. The form here and then of chant, or this, this, by the way, you talk, this book is about life because nothing more lifelike than a black preacher chanting its song. This is song, too. Uh, the words become song, bardic, you know, and, and, mm. and you're caught up in it as a reader is caught up in this book. Did the title then come from that? No, I, the title I had went before I wrote a word of the book, uh, I decided to call it a book of common prayer because I wanted to. Uh, I thought it was going to be one reason was that I thought it was going to be a really hard book to write, and I wanted it to be a prayer. It is a prayer. But as I, as I, uh, as I worked on it, uh, the, I think the title influenced the style a great deal. The title did. Yeah. Toward the end is the meeting of Grace, the narrator, and uh, Marin, and absolutely incredible. Just perhaps read that little piece of that. But this time we know. Marin know, knows that Charlotte is dead now. Yeah, they're in a dirty yeah. room in Buffalo. And uh, they've been talking for a while. All right, I said finally to Marin Bogart, you tell me, you tell me what you think your mother did in Boca Grande. I think she played tennis all day, Marin Bogart said. She didn't ever play tennis, I said. All day, every day, I only remember her in a tennis dress. I never saw her in a tennis dress, Grace says. 
As a matter of fact, Charlotte had told me that she and Marin once modeled matching tennis dresses in a fashion show at the Burlingame Country Club, and that because she did not play tennis, she had needed to ask Marin how to hold the racket correctly. I'm quite sure your mother didn't play tennis, I said. She always wore a tennis dress, Marin Bogart said. More than once? Always. Didn't you play tennis? Tennis, Marin Bogart said, is just one more mode of teaching an elitist strategy. If you subject it to a revolutionary analysis, you'll see that, not that I think you will. Yeah, so here you have uh, two different kinds of memories. Oh, she uses mm-hmm. the phrase elitist strategy, phrase mm-hmm. she's picked up, a jargon she's picked right. up. But also the, her memories of her mother, this is the complete chasm here, it, actually unbridgeable. Yes, she seems to have forgotten that she herself played tennis constantly. No, but also uh, that of a mother yeah. tennis, and the mother's memory, though, mm-hmm. we come back to her, is the little girl, a humiliating moment when Warren let him without dough, mm-hmm. at the same time beautiful and the Tivoli in mm-hmm. Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. It's funny, with, and there's no connection between the two. No. Very strange between the two. Now, in doing it, you find this, in doing this book, uh, Charlotte is no stranger to you. Just as Warren, to many of the women readers, was no stranger to mm. them, you, you must know my first husband. Charlotte is around. Sure, I, I, I thought that Charlotte was around. Uh, some people who've read the book said they have told me that they, that they thought Charlotte was some kind of contemptible woman. They never met anybody like Charlotte. I thought, where do they go? Where do they live? Where do they go to dinner? <laughs> uh, I know Charlotte. But Charlotte also, you see, the thing about Charlotte is she's very funny. She could be very funny company. Charlotte, yes. You know, yeah. uh, in her own way, yet you know their thoughts in her. You know, you have a feeling that she's less innocent, or put another way, brighter than she pretends to be. Right. You have a feeling that she's pretending to a coolness and casualness and standoffness, whereas the opposite is exactly mm-hmm. the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even... Yeah, She's a very complicated woman. Even carrying that fancy stuff around, that six-hundred little bag or whatever, yeah. sloshily like, it's not liberty. It's just that's kind of a like a rudder is loose. She has a way of uh, of existing entirely on manners when she's distracted. Um, when the FBI men come to tell her about Marin, I mean, she goes through this whole morning. The house keeps filling up with FBI men. She hasn't even had breakfast yet, and she keeps serving coffee and. Uh, when they actually sort of prove to her that it was Marin, all she can think to talk about is a caterer that they've been talking about earlier. And yeah. Also, yeah. as she's on the island, on at Boca Grande, and death in the air, Grace has taken the plane. Charlotte's putting some perfume, expensive perfume, on Grace's mm-hmm. wrist. Mm-hmm. You know, little things and like that. And a gardenia that. for her. And a gardenia yeah. for her. Grace's. Yeah. That's you're talking about, aren't you? Mm-hmm. Think that, mm-hmm. or when her husband Leonard is coming down there, she the wonders about having a, why she can't have an evening for him. And this party. is after the death of uh, uh, Warren, yeah. uh, impending doom, an yeah. evening. Yeah, an evening. As, uh, also, there's a revolution about the airport is closing. I mean, it's yeah, but yeah. this is it. Yeah, but she thinks in those in those term forms, old forms, she relies on, and she well, knows that they're they're empty. Yeah, but she r- runs through them. A Book of Common Prayer. You know, we opened Joan Didion, Simon and Schuster, the publishers. It really, it's, it's a, I'm looking it through now, I feel like reading some of the stuff out loud with you, but time does not permit. I was thinking of another scene there, the nature of dialogue, the way Charlotte talks. She's still thinking about something else. Somebody's talking about something entirely different, the disjointed, disparate mm-hmm. kind of conversation. Mm-hmm. It's very funny, which, by the way, it's a very funny book. Oh, I'm is. glad you think that. You know, we, we opened... Warren, we open with If Ever I Cease to Love, a Mardi Gras song. The lyrics of it are being sung by Warren in the book. He's teaching a girl he picked up, and he's very brutal to her, and, and this family that he's invaded and taken over. But when Warren dies, uh, didn't he ramble? Song, which, of course, mm-hmm. is the great old New Orleans marching song on the way back from the cemetery. He's played at his funeral. Well, wasn't Charlotte, in a way, a kind of rambling girl? Uh-huh. She was. So it would apply to her, too, wouldn't it? Yes. Didn't she ramble? And since, say, the book is about, I said it's about death and it's about life, that song is just perfect to close our conversation because on the way to the cemetery, there's a slow march. 
They we buried the dead, okay. And the way back is Didn't He Ramble? And this is for the living, which is your book. Joan Didion, thank you very much. A book of common prayer, Simon and Schuster, and available. I wanted to meet you anyway. Oh. Didn't she? <laughs>